welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. I'm Eric Grima in place of Paul Casey. Normally we have a chance to banter back and forth in the open and close of the program, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and fly a little solo to this week. Uh, I do want to talk to you, though, about what's on tap for today and, of course, this show, Voices of Experience. Voices of Experience is a chance for you to learn from people with experience, public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entertainment, and an emphasis on entrepreneurship. It's Voices of Experience Wednesdays at 3 o'clock on Kixie 880 and AM 1150 KKNW. Chance for you to comment and talk about maybe some future things that you would like to hear on this program is a phone call away, 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Paul will be speaking with author, hiker, and historian Judy Bentley. She'll be with him to talk about walking guides in Washington State. She's president, member of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society, and so much more. She's going to be bringing uh, her conversation to talk about this second edition of her book, Walking Guides in Washington State. Amazingly, she's written 19 books. Paul will also speak with Sarah Jansen. She'll be joining him later in the hour to address all things last year and this year. She's executive editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts for 2022. The World Almanac has been a great source of information uh, since 1868. Definitely been around a long time. Paul has always been fascinated by the World Almanac. And uh, he strives today in this conversation to give you some facts that you might need looking forward. The World Almanac is so relevant. For myself, we'll be speaking with uh, Debbie Debbie Handrich, also known as Coach Debbie. She is author, teacher, and a radio show host. Debbie's mission is to inspire and coach individuals to find their voice and write their own book. She has coached writers who have escaped their homeland, overcome addiction, and transformed their lives after loss. She has helped entrepreneurs claim their brand and soar as speakers. So we're going to talk about her radio show, her work, and uh, her own writings. Uh, for more information about uh, Coach Debbie, simply go to www.coachdebbie.com. That's coachdebbie.com. So we'll be right back after this message with more information and, of course, the start of this edition of Voices of Experience. Please tell your friends, tell your family about this program if you like the content heard herein. Again, Wednesdays, 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock on both Kixie 880 and KKNW AM 1150. Again, Wednesdays at 3. It also repeats at 11 a.m. on Kixie if you miss it there. And then podcasts worldwide along with all the other podcasts on all those major platforms. We'll be right back with this edition of Voices of Experience right after this. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. Welcome to today's Spotlight on Success. I'm Eric Greenman. I'm speaking with Deborah Handrich, also known as Coach Debbie. She's an author, teacher, and radio show host. 
Debbie's mission is to inspire and coach individuals to find their voice and write their own book. She has coached writers who have escaped their homeland, overcome addiction, and transformed their lives after great loss. She has helped entrepreneurs claim their brand and soar as speakers. Previously, she was the producer and co-host of Life Mastery Radio. She and Todd Allen interviewed over 300 authors and thought leaders. Debbie's known in Seattle, uh, in the area here, as a friend, writer, and mentor. She's been teaching and speaking for 25 years now and is heard on 1150 AM KKNW as well as Podcast One with her radio show, Story You Radio. Uh, With that, I want to welcome to the studios via Zoom, Coach Debbie, how are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's been a while since I've read kind of your background here. You're busy. You have a lot going on. (laughs) (laughs) I am busy. And I used to be even busier, but now I'm a focused busy, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The wheels can come off of that if you're not careful, right? You need to... You need mm-hmm. to take stock from time to time. Make sure you're getting everything done. That's exactly right. But ever since I came to KKNW, it's been three years now. Really, my focus has been to teach people to express themselves in their books or in their blogs or in their personal and professional brands. And I've been having so much fun, Eric. That's wonderful. You know, the, how long has it been now since you've had your radio show, uh, Story You Talk Radio, on eleven fifty a.m.? We just crossed the three-year point. That's amazing. I was thinking too. It's just—it seems like only yesterday we first met, and you have the same energy now as you did when you started your show, um, which is always a great sign of a host. Uh, is oh, someone who's that passionate about it? So, yeah, there you go. There's some kudos for you. Thank you. I love KKNW. I mean, Thursdays at four is just a time on my calendar that I look so forward to coming in. Eric Ryder and I, we do the show together. And while I don't give him much time to do talking, (laughs) he's doing all of the professional stuff that I never, ever would have been able to do. And for me, it's just living out my content around stories. So we're a great match. Well, and I think the show is a great match for the audience on 1150 AM. This is a sister station, of course, uh, to Kixie 880. This program here, Voices of Experience, airs uh, Wednesdays at 3 on Kixie, as well as simulcast then at the same time over at KKNW. Uh, And then it even repeats on on Sundays over here at Kixie at 11 AM. So um, wonderful to have sort of, I I like to say, a family family member, a host uh, in, in the Hubbard Radio family here on the air with us. Now, give a little bit background of how prior to radio, what were some of the things you were doing professionally that has led you here? Sure. I was a associate professor of literature for a lot of years. And really what I enjoyed the most was helping people understand that we're not only studying what we call Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, which is so prominent in in movies and in books, but we're also living out our own hero's journey. And at some point, I, I met my love, Todd Allen, and he said, you know, 
you have this particular brand as a teacher, and I think you would really love bringing it to radio and and just having a little more freedom with it than you might feel at the college. And he said it at the perfect time because my love for being at the college had been going on for, you know, a good two decades. Mm -hmm. And I think I kind of was ready to do things a little differently. So I... I went into more of a mystical bent and studied with Alan Cohen in Hawaii and realized I'm going to help people write their books. That's a passion I have. And my life isn't going to be complete unless I really step into that. I've always been fascinated when I get the chance to talk to people um, that I'm just sort of meeting for the first time and, uh, you know, there's the pleasantries, the hi, how are you doing? How's your day? But then if you talk long enough, suddenly you start to get a, a sense of their story. It does seem like everybody's got a very unique story. Everyone does. And what's really interesting about it, Eric, is if you take in reading stories and watching people live their stories like I do, you start to notice a lot of patterns. And it is in the patterns that we become more powerful and more of a participant in choosing how we want our life stories to be. And I love bringing people together on retreats or in workshops and helping them understand some of those patterns and for, for the writers, helping them bring it into a book they love and can sell. Absolutely. I want to give out your website at this point. Um, it's CoachDebbie.com, CoachDebbie.com on the World Wide Web. And, and it's uh, D-E-B-B-Y. Oh, thank you, <laughs> D-E-B-B-Y.com. Yeah. So make sure you uh, check that out. Uh, you can also listen to her program Thursdays on 1150 a.m. at 4 o'clock, and it also repeats at 6 a.m. the following day, Fridays. And then you podcast as well, correct? Yes. Awesome. Yes, we so do. lots, lots of ways to hear uh, your information. Now, in your show, you bring in, uh, sometimes you interview people, sometimes it's you, sometimes you're just reading and things like that. So talk about the show and, and um, how it's evolved and what you hope to achieve with it. So the show was, uh, like I said, I was moving from being with Todd Allen on Life Mastery Radio and always interviewing authors and just getting them to open up about their life. This show was more of a opportunity to open up classroom on the air. And then periodically I bring in an author so people can have that perspective of hearing how it is for someone that really has completed their book. Mm -hmm. But I really like to help people learn more about creating a sanctuary for writing or how to get into the elements of story and how your soul has a desire to be expressive. And maybe you'll start by writing a book and then decide that, you know, it's it's actually turned into be something a little big, but you would like to create a speech and maybe take it into the schools. Or some people have decided, I already have a book and I want to write a TED Talk. Mm -hmm. So we get into this and we open up the phone lines so 
callers can call in. But honestly, Eric, I think because I work so closely with writers, most people write in for their mm. advice, which is fine. You know, it, it works out fine. We do live coaching, but it, it really is a place to help people anchor in their dream and learn a lot more about what it means to draft a project and then to really declare it and put it out there in the world. You know, I think a lot of people have that dream of writing their own book or maybe a novel. Maybe it's fiction or nonfiction. Maybe it's biography. Who knows? But um, that passion is there. They just don't know how to get started. Um, how do you get started? It's a pathway that really says, since I since I feel that I want to write a book, I'm in it for the process. So getting started really is just saying, I'm going to step into that pool of book writing. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it, it has it has the shallow end. It has the deep <laughs> end. You might want to invest in a mentor before you get into the deep end. I would be happy to talk to people about mentoring. Mm -hmm. But the starting point really is taking a look at what it is that you want to express. Do you want to work from your own personal story? We call that memoir. Do you want to create characters? We call that fiction. Or is it more that you want to be a teacher? And we think of that as nonfiction. So it's really important to know what you want to deliver and from there, we start developing your voice. But I'll tell you one secret about writing, and that is most people don't know what they want to leave out. Mm. They really have no idea. So they think, if I'm going to write my own story or, or give advice, I have to tell every single thing I know. And it's just not true. You really need to get involved in a theme where you feel like you have expertise or you want to get involved in your life story where you feel like there's some theme that you can really speak on. I have a lot of people come to me who are cooks. I have many people that have come to me that have gone through a recovery and they want to tell their story of once being addicted and now being an inspiration. There's, there's often a part of our life that is prominent that we want to speak about. And then there's all this other stuff that doesn't really belong in the book. And once you know that, you find that you have a little more direction and you're actually in the process and you have left getting started behind. You are actually in the pool of writing. You know, Coach Debbie, uh, I can't believe it. I look over at the time right now, and this interview is unfortunately having to come to a close. Uh, that oh, went okay. amazingly fast. We definitely have to have you back because there's so much more I want to learn about the process of writing and writing a book, and, and I'm sure the effect it has on you as a person and the, the positive things that come to your life from the process. I'll tell you what, maybe it's just best that people contact you directly, and your website would be the best way? Sure. You can reach out at my website, coachdebbie.com, and it's D-E-B-B-Y. Just click on connect. I promise I'm the only one that reads my mail. That's wonderful. Thanks so much. And we'll have you back on another edition of Spotlight on Success in the near future. How does that sound? Thank you. I'd love it. All right. Great. And thank you all for listening to this uh, segment, Spotlight on Success during Voices of Experience. Have a wonderful day. 
You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. Judy Bentley has joined us, and she is an author, hiker, and historian. She has written 19 books, including Hiking and Walking Guides to Washington State, which we're going to talk about today. She's also written biographies, a collection of World War II letters, and books for young adults on contemporary issues. Some of those books include biographies of Sandra Day O'Connor, Desmond Tutu, Fidel Castro, and Harriet Tubman, and the primary target for these books are younger adults. Again, today we're going to primarily focus on her second edition of Hiking Washington's History, co-authored with guidebook author Craig Romano. This hiking book was published in 2021, and there are 12 new hikes, updates, and more detailed trail information that are contained in this book. How did you get interested in hiking yourself. What brought that on? Was it somebody who influenced you early in life, your mother, your father, or somebody? (laughs) Well, probably my husband. Um, I grew up in Indiana. Uh, We didn't have a lot of uh, hiking and certainly didn't have mountains and ocean, Um, but I did enjoy going to state parks there. Um, Then I lived in New York City for about 13 years, and uh, my husband and I would hike the Appalachian Trail. I guess our first, uh, our first real, my first real experience of, of serious hiking was on our honeymoon trip across the country. We went to uh, Glacier National Park and did a five-day backpack, which was the first time I'd ever had a backpack on my back. And we had new boots and new sleeping bags, no tent, <laughs> and, but it was a, a great hike for five days, and that got me really into hiking. So then it kind of hooked you then. Here, it hooked me then, right? Then when we moved out here, that was one reason for moving uh, out here was to be closer to outdoors and, and hiking. So, Do you remember your first trail that you hiked? There were several um, that people recommended. They said you have to go to Cascade Pass, you have to go to Evie's Landing. Um, but the one that got me into history hiking was the Coal Creek Trail, which was close to our house in Bellevue. So I could walk out the door, uh, follow uh, a deer trail, really, and then it became a social trail that people had just made a path. And then it kind of got into wetlands, but I could connect to Coal Creek and find a trail along the creek there. And that was my first kind of history hike in the sense of uh, discovering the history underneath the the trail along Coal Creek, which, as you can guess from its name, it's a, a very strong uh, coal mining history. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, as a kid, I grew up in Newport Hills, and we uh-huh. used to hike the Coal Creek um, Creek all the time. And oh, sure. we'd ride sure. our bikes up to the uh, mines, and it was, like, really spooky, and but it was fun. It's just a great memory. <laughs> yes. And, uh, I mean, you find things along the way, too. I mean, you find the coal, you find whole big 
black hole in the ground, and you find unnatural um, mounds uh, that are tailings from the mine, and you find the site of a locomotive turntable. I mean, it's really incredible to me to be living in the suburbs and um, and walk out the door and find you know history from a hundred years ago that was not so romantic, not so comfortable by any means. You've written a couple of books on hiking trails in Washington State. I think one was 2010, and you have one out now. Why don't we first start with the first edition and then go to the second edition? The first edition started with Coal Creek uh, for an idea. I also read a lot of Harvey Manning, um, and he described, his in one of his guidebooks, he described the Natchez Pass Trail through the Cascades, a, a wagon trail in the 1850s. And that was fascinating. Um, so I started looking for hikes that I thought had a little bit more history. I was teaching at the time. I taught at South Seattle College um, for many years. And so I was only hiking in the summers. And it took me a while. But uh, gradually, I began to put together a collection of historic hikes, which University of Washington Press uh, published then in 2010. They were uh, willing to take a... Uh, uh, gamble kind of on a combination, more popular history and uh, guidebook, something they had not done before. But what's the title of the, the book edition. then? Yeah, what was what was the, the first, title of that one? First edition is is just called Hiking Washington's History. And how and many uh, trails are in uh, various hikes are in that first edition? In that first edition, about uh, forty. Um, okay checking yeah, a little bit more than 40 let me see 42 42 in that okay right. so then you decided to just recently put a second edition out why did you feel necessary to do that are the new hikes in here or you just updated what you had i it is curious i i thought that there would never be a second edition in the sense that historic trails by their definition don't change that much but um, they do change, and the access to them changes, and I discovered some new ones. I also wanted to make it um, ha- include more trail descriptions so that uh, it could be more of a guidebook, and so that's why I uh, invited uh, Craig Romano to, to co-author the book, and he has provided uh, more detailed uh, trail descriptions for the second edition of the book. There are 12 new hikes in this book, um, and it, it was a surprising to uh, find that there are there, uh, there are many trails that I, that I still to be discovered. There are trails that are hard to find, too. So I was always looking, of course, for trails that uh, are well-maintained that people can follow. Okay, so if you um, access issues is being able to get to the trailhead as easy as possible, but then accessibility... Let's put it that way. Let's say older people or people with um, some challenges physically that they can maneuver through the trail better. Well, by I meant more access. Uh, there's a variety of trails in the second edition. Some are short and easy, and most people can do. Um, some of them are multi-day backpacks, so they range a great deal. But at least they are ones that you can get to the trailhead for. Um, okay. Because of the removal of the dams on the Awa, for example, has made access to the Dodger Point Trail very difficult. So I did not include that in the second edition. 
Okay. What are your favorite hikes? Oh. <laughs> I mean, there's probably a lot. We could be here an hour and a half, I'm sure, but maybe two right. or three. One is Calix Pass, um, one is, which is uh, south of Mount Rainier in the Gifford Pinchot National Forest and, I, and north of White Pass. Another is Chief Joseph Summer Trail, which is in southeastern Washington. Uh, the Nez Pierce Trail, very remote area. Is that in the Palouse area? And, yes. Uh, it's in the very southeastern corner. It's in the uh, Wenaha Tucannon Wilderness and in the Blue Mountains that also extend into eastern Oregon there. So it's right on the border with Idaho um, and Oregon in that corner. What do you think would be the best type of hikes that people can take that, again, takes that into consideration? I know we got western Washington and eastern Washington. We have the mountains, and they're entirely different climates. But would you have mm-hmm. a couple that you'd recommend that people should consider if they need to get out? One that is new in the second edition is the Snoqualmie Valley Trail. It goes for 31 miles, and you can choose <laughs> small parts of that. And It's a railroad-grade trail. It's on... Um, the bed of the Seattle Lakeshore and Eastern Railway goes along the Snoqualmie River. This was the ancient uh, waterway for the Snoqualmie people. Um, a lot of steamboat travel up the river. So the trail roughly follows the river, although the river is winding and the trail is straight. And you can pick this up. It goes from Deval all the way to uh, Rattlesnake Lake. Um, there are parks uh, along the way. Meadowbrook Farm is accessible. Of course, it goes um, near Snoqualmie Falls. So you can choose. Uh, you can get on it at Tolt McDonald Park and Carnation and many other places. My thanks to Judy Bentley. If you'd like to get a copy of this book or any other book that Judy has authored, I suggest you just Google Judy Bentley, and Bentley is spelled B-E-N-T-L-E-Y, Seattle author, and it will come up. Or you can... Get her books online or uh, via Amazon. Again, that's Judy Bentley. Bentley spelled B-E-N-T-L-E-Y. And just input Seattle author. Michael Thompson is my guest and also a very good friend. Michael is a Washington native who grew up in Tacoma, that Tacoma connection eventually led him back to his roots. In 2011, he put together a group of investors to purchase what is now the AAA West Tacoma Rainiers. Michael serves as chairman and CEO of the Tacoma Rainiers. Michael spent more than 20 years in the wireless industry. In 1992, he co-founded Pacific Northwest Cellular, where he served as managing director. After a series of acquisitions and mergers, He became CEO of Western Wireless until Western Wireless sold to Altel in 2005. Michael serves on a variety of private company boards. He co-founded Trilogy, where he and his partners have become angel investors. He has served as chairman of the Washington State University Foundation, where he graduated from with a degree in business. I started out my conversation with Michael, and I asked him, what does he look for when he is hiring someone? When you hire someone or associate your company with someone, what what type of things and questions do you ask yourself? I look for someone who is more than just a, you know, just a 
set of experiences that are directly attributable to the job that I'm looking for. I look for a well-rounded person. I look for somebody who has uh, done a lot of things outside of their uh, uh, their professional side that that they're not a a, a one-dimensional person. And um, you know, I, but in general, I'm looking for somebody who brings more than just the bare minimum to the job, but people who bring. Uh, uh, a lot of diversity of experiences. Sort of like joining clubs and things like that, or just being involved in extracurricular activities. Yep. Let's say, you know, you and, and a number of people, obviously the last year and a half has been extremely challenging for everybody, but you in particular, I mean, you kind of are the, really the head honcho of the Pacific Coast League, AAA Tacoma Rainiers. And certainly you have Trilogy and other investments in, in that area. How have you made adjustments during this time? Is the minor leagues and the major leagues have uh, have kind of merged and meshed together? Uh, I I think uh, overall to the uh, to the benefit of both uh, in a way that uh, they they weren't before, and um, so that has been uh, that's been helpful during this this time where we went from uh, you know making uh, uh, you know in. 19 or 2019 we had uh, over 12 million dollars worth of revenue and in 2020 we had approximately zero um, and uh, so that was a uh, that was a fairly big change um, happily we've done some some great things with the community in the past and we were supported by the community during that during that tough time uh, we got uh, we got some PPP funding when the government, you know, basically did what a government should do during a, uh, a uh, pandemic, which is, uh, you know, support businesses that were strong and through no, no fault of their own ran into some difficulties, but it's been, uh, it's been a lot of, a lot of interesting times. I would say from a, an overall standpoint, I have been served well professionally by having a diversity of interests. My thanks to Michael Thompson, a true voice of experience. His advice to want to be entrepreneurs? Operate from the balls of your feet. Don't sit back on your heels. Be ready to jump at opportunities, even if they aren't what you anticipated at the beginning when you started your company. There are going to be some things that come along the way that you need to be willing to bet your business on. And they're not obvious to you when you started your business in a lot of cases. I could not agree with that assessment more, having been in business myself for over 30 years. Full disclosure, my wife and I are investors in the AAA West Tacoma Rainiers. talking now about the World Almanac 2022 edition. I spoke with the executive editor, Sarah Jansen, about this year's version. You know, I hadn't really thought about the World Almanac in a while, and I used to 
read it quite a bit, but I've fallen out of the habit of doing that. And that's why it was really interesting to catch up again with the um, executive editor. So let's just get right to it and pick up with my interview with Sarah Jansen. How did you get interested in your vocation right now, um, going into world history, the almanac, book of facts? How did this uh, come to you? You know, it actually was sort of uh, serendipitous. I was in college and I took a internship with a publishing company that included the World Almanac and uh, graduated a couple of years later and have been working full-time for the World Almanac ever since. And did you just have an interest in this growing up, like little things would happen that you would just say, that is fascinating and um, I would like to catalog these things? Oh, (laughs) I don't know about cataloging, but definitely I was always a curious kid, always uh, really interested in, you know, figuring out and breaking down the world around me. I also actually, when I was a kid growing up in the 90s, I got a copy of the World Almanac with a, it was bundled with a Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego computer game. Um, So that's where I first got hooked on the idea that there was a book that could cover so many different topics from science and world history to politics and pop culture to sports statistics um, because the the computer game would make you answer, you know, trivia questions or make connections between details uh, using the World Almanac as a, as a resource. So I've been a fan since way back when. So you've been interested in this for a very long time. Do you win all these trivia games? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. But I do know that um, lots of people use the World Almanac when they're preparing to go on Jeopardy and shows like that. It's it's kind of like a one-stop sh- uh, study guide for people who are trying to, you know, really do a good review of lots of different subjects for trivia shows and, and quiz shows and all of that kind of thing. There is so much here, and we just have such a limited time. You've got the economy, you've got U.S. cities, U.S. government, facts and history, consumer information, science and technology. Because we do have limited time, are there things that you would like to highlight about what you have found while you've been doing this over the years? Well, certainly the mission statement of the World Almanac is always cover all of the events of the past year and then provide a really great resource for questions on any subject going forward in the upcoming year. So because we're talking about the World Almanac and Book Effects for 2022, that means that we have all of the events of 2021, and it was a very busy year. We had to cover things like the coronavirus pandemic, like the exit from Afghanistan, and, you know, everything else that we're always keeping track of, whether that's census results or the latest MLB, NFL, and NBA seasons. Um, We're always trying to pay attention to everything that's going on all year long to provide the best reference possible um, for the year coming up. Well, I'd just like you to highlight what you think is most interesting. You know, I love working on the offbeat news stories every year. I love working on 
the year in pictures every year. You know, almanac editors spend a lot of time with data, with black and white statistics and charts. So it's always a lot of fun to get to work on the full color section and get to, you know, get a good glimpse at everything that happened in 2021 from the visual side of things. And that's everything from news events um, to the year in sports to taking a look at some of the notable, you know, uh, obituaries that we had to highlight in the past year. Is there anything that jumps out at you about 2021 that you'd like to share? Certainly the pandemic uh, was the headline for the year and unfortunately remains in that position. But other things that maybe that happened during 2021 or any time that, again, you grab and you think are just really fascinating, like you went had aha moments or something like that. I think you'll find aha moments really on every page of the World Almanac. That's one of the great things about a book like this. Um, If you're a curious person, you can pick it up and flip to a random page and find something that you'll be fascinated by or interested in, whether that's some of our editor's picks lists, which um, this year includes some sports scandals and a time capsule to, you know, just looking at statistics on, you know, the highest, um, highest streamed songs every year or to look at the you know most visited websites or to take a look at so many um, billionaires traveling into space in 2021 we've got coverage of all of these new things and all of the features that people have come to expect in the world almanac no matter what page you flip to since everything moves so quickly what would you say or what does the almanac say i guess what was the biggest sports scandal Well, we didn't rank them. We decided to come up with a top 10 list of um, the most memorable sports scandals of the past 20 years. And that's because uh, a while back, they did a list that was similar, the World Almanac did. um, But there's been a lot of scandals since then. (laughs) So we decided to just look at the last two decades. And that has everything from doping in cycling and horse racing to some trash can banging on the World Series side of things. Oh, yeah, and that wasn't just people taking out their garbage. That was something that was pretty amazing that occurred. And you go, what? Did that really happen? And how did they get away with that for so long? We're talking the Houston Astros, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's the only trash can banging scandal I'm aware of. But, you know, 2022 could have another one in the works. Who knows? You know what's amazing about that? You know, you talk about technology and all the advancement we've made, and you think that's the best they could do, crashing a trash can together to throw off the pitcher or be able to predict the uh, the balls and strikes that are coming in or whether to hit the ball. I mean, isn't it amazing? It's a very analog solution considering how into, you know, analytics and high-end metrics baseball has gotten in the last, you know, 10 years or so, especially. Yeah, that's what I meant. You just said it better than me. That's exactly what I meant. Yes. Now, going forward, do you think when you are doing this work that you're connecting dots that you can maybe see the future better, if you know what I mean? You go, well, we've done this before sort of thing. Does that ever enter into how what you think about when you're going to dinner and sharing information with friends of, you know, we look at 20 years in Afghanistan. Well, it's like, hey, we're doing something over here. We don't want to do that again. You see what I'm driving at? 
I do. And, you know, I think that no matter what topic you're looking at, whether it's something of life and death importance, like the conflict in Afghanistan or something smaller, it never hurts to have a really great foundation of knowledge in something, to to be able to look at the the facts on the ground, the basic numbers and data, and also context for whatever subject you happen to be discussing. I think that one of the things that the World Almanac does really well is provide those authoritative foundational facts for tons of different topics. And then you can go from there. You can do your own research in a number of other uh, sources. We also list our sources for all of our data on every page. Um, So it can actually be an entree to a bunch of other places to do research. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of resources of our own on fact-checking everything. So we can make sure that everything that has been published in the World Almanac has been verified and double-checked by our team of researchers and fact-checkers to provide a really great foundation for any subject you might want to know about or might come up in discussion, we've got, you know, the essential facts for you right in one place. When you look at Afghanistan, for example, I go back uh, a distance, even back to the 1960s and into the 70s when I was observing the world. And I guess, speaking just for myself, the exit out of Afghanistan, for example, has been viewed as being really sloppy. And that's just what everybody thinks. It just wasn't handled well. But when you're in occupying a country like that for so many years, I don't think it can end any other way unless there's a decisive victory. And I kind of feel when I go back to the Vietnam War, going through that, and then the exit out of there was a absolute horrible situation, which you look at. It's almost predictable that when you look at conflicts like this that you get in, you ask that question, is this really worth it? And I wonder if things like that, like I haven't seen the book per se, but the 20 years in Afghanistan, if that shines any light on that. Well, I think the thing that is done really well with our Afghanistan feature is put this 20 years in context. You know, we knew going into 2021 that there would be an exit this year. The deal had been signed in 2020. The plans were in the process of being made. What we didn't know is what it would look like, especially Um, You know, given the the comparison you made to the exit from Vietnam, there's been, you know, 50 years of uh, technological advancement since then, particularly in the immediacy of media. And we saw these immediate images of the evacuation process in HD, you know, on the phone, in in the palm of your hand, in a way, you know, all of these things that made things seem more immediate than they maybe did 50 plus years ago. I think that one of the things that the World Almanac's feature on the exit does really well is sort of put that immediacy in the larger context. 20 years of a conflict is a very long time. It was overseen by four presidents. Um, hundreds of thousands of service members were in country at some point, and that does not even include the the many thousands of coalition forces that served. It's a really great feature as far as providing all of that information, all of that context that you'll need to to be able to five years from now, ten years from now, still have a a, a better sense of where the conflict ended and, you know, the basis for going forward. 
My thanks to executive editor Sarah Jansen for being with us today about the 2022 edition to the World Almanac. It has a lot of information in there, as I talked about in the interview. I mean, if you haven't really thumbed through it lately, it's a good thing to do. I was able to take a look at it. I mean, everything about uh, the economy, military affairs, which we talked about today, U.S. cities, states, population, international statistics, sports, consumer information, it's all there. So, and it's very easy to get. You just Google World Almanac 2022 and you can get your own copy. And I want to asterisk this interview again. I am not paid a promotional fee or any money whatsoever for interviewing this guest, in this case, Sarah Jansen, or any other author. I just kind of pick out what I think is interesting, and I hope that you find the interviews interesting too. I heard something a while back, and I want to share that with you because it really had a pretty big impact on how I viewed the world. And it comes from about 5000 BC. And here it is. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So essentially what that is saying is that we are doomed to repeat our mistakes. Again, coming from 5000 BC, they knew it then for crying out loud. So, you know, it's one thing I kind of think about along those lines, and we're all guilty of this ourselves. It's like we think about our lives and history beginning when we were born. I've actually heard people say that. Well, I don't know anything about this because it happened before I was born, and yet they are making these comments about what we should be doing in the future. And when I hear that, I bristle a bit. If you're going to have really hard opinions about what we should be doing here and there in terms of this country and where we should go, you really owe it to yourself and other people that you're expressing your opinion to to have some idea of what has come before. Because again, we continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and Adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. My guest is Robert Bathurst. You may recognize that name from the enormously successful TV series, Downton Abbey. He played the role of Sir Anthony. Robert has been a very successful television and theater actor as well, but the reason I'm speaking with him today is that he narrates a number of books written by Louise Penny, and she is the author of 17 best-selling books. Her latest book is called 
The Madness of Crowds, and Robert once again narrates the audio version of this book. So let's get right to it. I wanted to talk about The Madness of the Crowds, the book, and uh, it's a timely story about the social cost of giving voice to public figures with questionable ideas. Now, I find that hard to believe, at least in this country, in the U.S., we don't have any of those type of public figures. Right. Um, yes. Well, we're, we're, I mean, public voice to questionable ideas. Well, if it's questionable, then they're open to debate. And the trouble with ideas at the moment is that people um, people are debating through megaphones, rather. And so you can say, should certain opinions be uttered? Uh, should they be banned from being uttered? Or should they be pressured into the, into the heat of, of debate and have those opinions tested? Um, this is uh, obviously a very live debate, and in fact, you can debate about that sort of debate as well. I mean, but um, the standard of debate at the moment is 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 pretty um, meager. Are there any like real live political parallels to what you're talking about? Yeah, the suppression of of uh, of, of opinion, and uh, I imagine that there are in uh, East Germany, you could say. Uh, people not saying what they want to say for fear of being um, uh, driven out of the party or uh, not given the privileges that they would uh, otherwise hope for. The trouble is now, if, if someone disagrees with you, uh, um, there's a danger of losing them as friends. I mean, it's got, it's got that, that bad. Uh, the, the madness of the crowd starts with, with someone whose views, the main character, Armand Gamache, um, a speech that she gives, and he's got to protect her from the crowd, and um, he finds her opinions abhorrent. And the question is, does he... Does he do a worse job? Does he actually throw himself in the way of her safety uh, to protect her? Or does he do a less good job and uh, allow her to get hurt if, if something arises? Tell us a little bit more about who Inspector Kamash is. I think he's a really interesting character, and he's almost more interesting as, as interesting as any of the, uh, of the great uh, fictional detectives. And he has a different, different quality to, to him. Louise Penny has, has written this book, these books, there's 17 of them now, um, 17. Oh. And it, 17, I'd done the last seven. Uh, Ralph Cosham was the reader of the first ten. Got and, it. And uh, he died. And okay. I, I was given the, um, the the nod for the last seven. So, uh, yes, it's an enormous body of work that she's uh, come up with. Uh, Inspector Gamash is, is in a, a village called Three Pines, and he solves crimes. Um, however harsh it is, there is underneath it, uh, it's a sort of really unfashionable uh, goodness to it. Goodness to, to him and to the world that is portrayed through his eyes. There is the possibility of redemption. I think it has this sort of odd, strange quality to it, which is deliberate. I'm very interested personally uh, about the secret to making a narration stand out. I've listened to some of the chapters that you have done, and you have this great quality of coming across and 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 make it really quite interesting and compelling. So, what do you do? to make your narration stand out? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm delighted that you've uh, responded in that way. I mean, uh, it's, uh, you, know, you do them and you hope that people will. And thank you very much. Um, what, what do you have to do? Um, I, everybody, has, of course, has their own way of doing it. But you have to both take control of it and surrender to it. You, you mustn't get in the way. I mean, if you're reading a, a, a book and they're on the page, your imagination, if the author is good, the imagination will be will be pinged, will be will be will be engaged, and and you will hear the characters, you will smell the things that they're they're writing about, um, and you will feel it, and you will you'll be swung along with it. And then when you're doing an audio book, there's a huge responsibility on the on the on the reader, because 
you know, there's this person in the way. There's this person who's, who's intruding between the author and the, and the, and the person uh, for whom the experience has been, has been written um, and, and read. And so, so the, the job of a, of a, of a narrator is, is sort of not to be annoying. You know, that's, that's, that's the sort of the base, base point, to, to, just to engage the audience, make sure they're engaged by what the author intended. And don't get in the way, don't intrude, don't bring your own take on it, your own agenda, whatever it is like that. My thanks to Robert Bathurst. The book is called The Madness of Crowds, and all you need to do is Google Madness of Crowds, and you can find any book platform that you want to order from. Again, whether you want the audio version with Robert Bathurst or the hard or soft copy edition. And um, find out more about the author, Louise Penny, too. She has a very fascinating story of what prompted her to write these series of books. to live. Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at kw.com. That is all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Eric Crema. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the program. Any comments about what you heard? Call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Voices of Experience is a great chance to listen as people with wonderful experience from public affairs, travel, fitness, education, and just entrepreneurship in general. Join us on Voices of Experience. Voices of Experience airs on Kixie 880, Wednesdays at 3 p.m., in a simulcast on Hubbard's sister station, KKNW AM 1150, again, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie only on Sundays at 11 a.m. Finally, you can hear Voices of Experience on podcasts. So wherever you get your, normally get your podcasts, please tune in to Voices of Experience. My name is Eric Crema. Thanks to executive producers Steve Mills and Benny Mathers for the great work they do. And finally, experience is our best teacher. Here are some things to ponder. Don't trust everything you see. Salt looks a lot like sugar. I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will have a generation of idiots. Albert Einstein America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedom, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. Abraham Lincoln Finally, since this is an era when many people are concerned about fairness and social justice, what is your fair share of what someone else has worked for? Thomas Sewell
Finally, next week, Paul Casey has an interview with Virginia Wooders, mayor of Tacoma. Tacoma has some great things happening in the residential communities and their downtown. Tacoma is booming. Paul also speaks with retired NBA star James Donaldson. The Seattle Supersonics drafted James Donaldson in 1979, and he played for several other NBA teams during his career. James also talks about that and some of his serious life struggles over the last several years. It's going to be a not-to-miss Voices of Experience on 427. Thank you so much for your listening, and have a wonderful week as you head out into your world.